Well, today, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. You guys ready to get in the Word? Boom, here we go. It's going to be a great study. We had a wonderful time learning about prayer, and now we're going to get into a deeper study of not you know, studying the Word. We're always going to study the Word, but we're going to study the whys and what for is behind the Word. We're going to take a look at things uh, in the parable that's found in Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus talks about four types of seed. There's a seed that falls on, on packed, compacted soil, rocky soil, weedy soil, and good soil. We're going to be examining our hearts and our minds as we progress in this. We're going to be asking ourselves a lot of questions about why, why does the word have a certain effect on us in certain ways and has no effect on us in other ways? Why is it we feel distant sometimes from the word that's, that we're reading it? It's like, I don't get this. And we just kind of keep reading like we're, we check the box. I read the Bible today. So we're going to try to get deeper, not just in the relationship of God through prayer. But how many of us know we need more than just prayer? We need the word of God. It's the foundation, it's the sword, it's, it's living, it's active, it's sharp. So for us to walk into battle in love with our commander but not having an offensive or defensive strategy, uh, we're devil bait. So we're going to study the word and why we trust the word of God. And it starts tonight. So we're going to talk about dirt. You guys ready to talk about dirt? Matthew chapter 13, verse 3. Let's get started. Jesus then, then he told them many things in parables. This is his first parable of the many parables he's about to say. He says, a farmer... I want you to picture this. Use your imagination. I feel like Mr. Rogers, but I like it when you say that. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, if you'd never heard that parable, never read that, didn't understand the explanation, you'd be like, okay, all right, I get it. Farmer, seed, birds, but I have no idea what you're talking about. And the disciples being like, we would be, they said, okay, I get exactly what you said. I see the pictures you painted with your words. I see the birds. I see seed that's gone now and has become fertilizer in some other field. I, I, I get it, but I have no idea what you're talking about. Anybody ever talked to somebody that's so smart, you had no idea what they were talking about, so you just nodded your head a lot? Anybody losing your hearing like I am, so if they're smiling, you smile too? Yeah, good. And if you didn't hear that, I'll, I'll language later. There we go. So Jesus then explains to his disciples what it means, and this is found in Matthew 13, verse 18. He says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the domain of the king, about the, his kingdom coming, his will being done, the message about the kingdom, and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Now, that phrase doesn't understand it. Um, it it's an interesting collection of words, and, and I think the best way to help you understand it is with this illustration. How many of you guys can see clearly a dinosaur? Because in your mind, you can, you can, you can connect the dots. That, that phrase, and doesn't understand it, is literally probably the modern way to translate it in the, the King Jim version for you, is they, they see all the dots, they just don't know how they connect. It doesn't, I've seen it, I heard it, I get every word until you put it next to each other, and then I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like talking to kids about technology, right? The, by kids, I mean 30 years old and younger now. So this, this thought, what Jesus is saying is when the ground has been beat down, when, when the ground has been compacted, when people have walked all over you, sometimes it's just really hard to hear what God is saying and connect those dots. Because how do you reconcile the thought of a loving God with the reality of your life? How do you reconcile uh, a church that's the bride of Christ is not to have spots and wrinkles, and yet it's full of spots and full of wrinkles? How do you reconcile someone saying, I'm a believer, and all their posts are cross and scriptures, but then they say the most vile, unkind, unloving things, because in a moment of weakness, they just call everybody whatever they want to call them. You go, Ugh. And, and literally, guys, hear me. The testimony of Christianity is always one stupid comment away from hindering people's faith. 
Let me say that again, because I want to make sure you really get this. The testimony of, of the body of Christ. We see people don't know the body of Christ. They know Christians. And people who are overt in Scripture, overt in faith, overt in, in whatever it is, and then that one moment where they just kind of blankety-blank everybody because they're having a blankety-blank day, and they just want to blankety-blank the blankety-blank in issues. But understand this. That actually adds to a bad testimony. Another parable Jesus teaches talks about the salt, and if it loses its saltiness, it's no longer good for anything but to be trampled down by men. Can I suggest to you that the influence we are to have as God's children on earth, if we lose his nature in our responding and our corresponding, are you still here? Then we are no longer good for anything except to be walked all over by people that go, ah, I'm in a better mood than you are, and you claim to know the creator of the universe. Right? So what Jesus is saying is if, you're, if your ground has been beat down, you don't see a dinosaur. You, you see, all you can see is what's been done to you. And you have to look through your own pain, your own issues. And it's hard. I'll say this, guys. The number one reason why people don't believe the Bible is not sincere atheism or unanswered questions. When I am talking to people and I, say, and I reach for Scripture to try to help them to see the reality of the world around them, what they need to do, their next step, it's, it's a lamp to my feet, it's a light to my path. Like, this is, like, let me show you the absolutes. Now, put your foot here. They go, ah, I, I don't trust the Bible. Well, why not? I don't trust God. I, well, why not? I don't trust the church. Like, well, I understand that one. But what, what about, why the other stuff? Why the, because of what I've been through. And I will be honest with you. And I, I sincerely, I'll look into that camera, I'll look into your eyes, and I'll tell you the truth. There are things that have happened in my life and there are things that have happened in your lives that I have absolutely no explanation for. I, I don't, I've actually given up trying to explain why God did or didn't do the things that he did or didn't do in your life. I've actually given up sometimes in trying to justify um, the behaviors of the church, which would include this church, when you can't open up the news without seeing something that someone should not have done. Not only did they do it, they did it from a position in which I am standing right now. As a matter of fact, let me just say this. I doubt there's a man, woman, or child in this room that hasn't been hurt, disappointed, frightened, angered, used, lied to by a man in authority, perhaps even a pastor. And if you'd allow me to, I just want to stand here for a second and say on behalf of my masculinity, on behalf of my authority, on the behalf of my scriptural position in the body of Christ, I just want to say for all, of the, all the men, all the authority, all the pastors, how sorry I am that you were treated in a way that was unbiblical, it wasn't right, it was wrong. Uh, I don't justify it in my own life. I won't justify it in the lives of others, but I think it's almost cathartic if I can stand here tonight and say to you, listen, if a pastor treated you poorly, can I now stand in the same place that he was standing or she was standing and say to you, how sorry I am, that the gift in which I operate was used in a way that hurt you. If your father let you down, I'm a dad. I've let down my kids. I, I, on behalf of dads everywhere, seriously, man, you, you deserved better than that, and I'm sorry. Does that make sense? I, I, never want, I never want for you unresolved pain to keep you from hearing God's voice. I never want for you that, that the men, that the, the, the people, the world, the church that has trampled the soil of your heart, I, if God's word can't get into us because we've been hurt, I think we have a responsibility to undo that hurt. We have a responsibility to talk about it honestly. We have a responsibility to say to people, listen, I, the church is wonderful except for where it's terrible. America's wonderful, you know, except for where it's terrible. Democracy is the greatest form of government ever created. 
uh, and it's terrible sometimes, right? So we're going to talk about that tonight. I, I just wanted to say to you before we got started, I, if, you can, if I can stand in the place of those who've hurt you and say, I'm sorry, maybe it would help you to, to soften that ground a little bit because tonight we're going to deal with heart issues. And if you tune me out because I'm a man, because of the color of my skin, because my first name is Pastor, because people just like me in a variety of ways have hurt you, then I want to stand here in a variety of ways and say how sorry I am that people just like me screwed you over. You didn't deserve it. And they were wrong. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're still listening. And tonight I pray that God will get behind the, the righteous defenses that we've put up to keep things from hurting us a second time or a tenth time or a hundredth time. So we're going to look at the three most common sources of pain that tramples our ground and keeps us from really trusting what God has said. Promises, prohibitions, why, why would we not trust him? What has happened to us that when God speaks, we go, yeah, 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 but you're, just, but you're, you're masculine and your identity and you're authoritative in your words and your servants that you send into my life all suck and I, I, I don't trust you. So I will be God. I will decide what is true and what is not true. And you realize when that happens, we go right back to the Garden of Eden where we know the difference between good and evil and we get to choose. That's, that's the wrong place to go. So um, let's look at those the three sources of pain. Number one is this, is the pain caused by others. And that's simply when someone uses their free will and they lie to you, they steal, they cheat, they, they shouldn't have. And it's not right. And now you have to forgive them. Not only are you harmed by their behavior, but then Jesus mandates mercy. If you're going to receive it, you have to give it. You're not allowed to drink poison and wait for your enemies to die. <clears throat> you have to be right in your own soul so that you can love appropriately and bring the kingdom to earth. So I would just say this, guys, and please, <clears throat> every time I, I, I think there are reasons why people behave the way, the way they do. Would we agree with that? Hurting people generally hurt people. Abused people generally abuse people. People that have been through, you know, hell don't have heaven as their, as their default setting. There's a process by which they learn to be like Jesus or a process by which they say, I, I don't care, I'm just going to be me and you have to get used to me. But I, I want to make this clear. Um, even though there's reasons, there are no excuses. The minute I excuse my bad behavior because that's just the way I am, I deny the transformational power of my creator and his desire to make me like his son, not like the orphan I was before I met his son. So we're, we're going to be honest about this, and we need to all be honest about this because I think our transparency and our humility helps other people be honest about what they've been through. So hurting people hurt people. I, I don't justify that. There's, there's a reason why they do, but it's not an excuse that makes it okay. Um, so whether it's Hitler's hatred of the Jews or somebody late for work driving like a drunk kamikaze on US 23, people are going to hurt us. Do we, do we understand that? Like, can we just accept that? We are going to engage with hurting people, and hurting people are going to hurt us. That's just, that's just waking up in the morning. Now, you can go be one of these people that goes off and hermits and lives in the great northwest on her, you know, leaves, and, and I don't want to be around people. That's cool. But, but understand, the, the walls you put up to protect your soul have become the prison that you are now in. We are supposed to take down walls. We're supposed to be light in darkness, salt that has influence in a world that doesn't have salt in it. We are we're God's answer to the prayers of mankind. Did you get that? Let me say that again. You're, you're not part of the problem. You're God's solution to the problem. So we don't withdraw. We, we actually advance. And in that advancing, we are going to be hurt. We're going to be lied to. All the things that are on the screen, that's going to happen to us. How many of you guys, any of those things have ever happened to you? Let me see your hand. 
How many of you guys, etc. Just give me the etc. Like, etc. Like they need to be all capital letters, right? So I want you to notice something, and please hear what I'm about to say. God isn't the one hurting you. When we're talking about letting the word of God get into our hearts, remember, God is not the one hurting you. It's fallen people, people with their free will, people with their orphan mentalities, just like I have, just like all of us have at some level. We still have that trigger. We still have that button. We still have that weakness. We still have that frailty. And when somebody hits it, we go off like a Tasmanian angel because we're born again. So, right? so people say, well, if that's true, then why did God allow me to be hurt? If God's really good and God really loves me, then why have I been through what I've been through? And this is going to be hard because it's going to cause us to kind of expose some things that we'd rather just leave buried. Some things go in boxes and they go in the back corner. We hope to never open the box again. But tonight... I'm just, I'm just humbly asking you to consider opening the box and consider this. One of the things that God had to do, he had to give us, it was vital for us to be free, is free will. He did not create robots programmed to do a specific thing and never violate their programming. He gave us the ability to choose or reject. He gave us the, the ability to prefer or to defer. He gave us the ability to love or to hate. Why? Because it is not until I exercise that part of me, that gift, that free will, to love you, that love really matters. If I am programmed to love you and I have no option, it isn't even love. It's just programming. When I breathe, I'm not sure I'm really glorifying God because I'm just programmed to breathe. I stop breathing. I notice pretty quickly that I stop breathing. But when I stop loving, I don't really notice it. I, I have to choose. I have to prefer. I have to crucify my flesh. I have to do the costly, committed, consistent choice to treat you for your highest good at the expense of myself, whether or not you ever reciprocate or not. And every time I do, every time I walk past that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and I choose what God said over what the tree has promised me, every time I walk past that desire to hate you because you were hateful to me or be mean to you or gossip about you or slander, every time I decide not to do that, my free will affirms God's commands to be true and glorifies who he is. I want a free will. How about you? I don't want to be a slave. I don't want to be a robot. I don't want to be an amoeba. I want to be a son that has a say in what I do because every time I choose God, I bring glory to his name. But, but here's the problem. That same free will that glorifies God hurts people. So we have a free will. So why didn't God stop that person from hurting? If God's really good, then why didn't God do something? It's because God has established mankind with free will, and we can choose to do the most wonderful acts that look just like Jesus and the most terrible acts that look just like Satan. For us to blame God for the sins of mankind, I'll say it another way. I think an error that is commonly made is for us to misunderstand who the evil one is. God is evil because God did this and God allowed that. No. God is not evil. God's the solution for evil. God is not the condemner. He's the rescuer. God's not the molester. He's the one who heals those who've been molested. God is not the liar, the thief. God is the one who restores what the liar and the thief took from you. Being born again has that within it. Um, people say, you know, why, why, did the, why did the church do what it did to me? Why did Christians do what they did to me? I, listen, I totally, I, <laughs> I want to say this the right way, but if anybody here understands what it is to interact with a lot of believers and be the focal point of vitriol, I think you're looking at him, at least in this room. I'm not saying I'm, I'm the most focused on, but to be called uh, 
the leader of a, of a charismatic cult for a good 15 of 25 years and have it come from other members of the body of Christ because they didn't understand why we did the things we did. We became the villain and they're outreaching and people left our church, go to that church. We don't like that church. We don't trust that church. We don't play softball with that church because that church is blah, blah, blah. How many of you guys know I have been on the receiving end of a lot of things that were said that weren't true? And you have too, right? Because, you know, you go to a cult. So, no, that's not true. But I'm so glad I can joke about it now. Wow, it feels so good. Because for a while it's like, don't say the C word, you know. But I'm, I'm just simply saying this. I, it's an imperfect world. But we have to have free will because with it I choose his glory. And with it I reject his glory. With it I choose to love you or I choose not to. It, love is not love and glory is not glory until we choose to glorify God and choose to love him and each other. Does this make sense? So God gives us a free will because it's what's best for us. You can't be free without free will. I want to be free. In my heart is a desire, in the heart of all mankind, to be free. So in that, that's a blessing from God. Our next source of pain that we don't need to talk about tonight is the pain we cause ourselves. I'm about to put a scripture up on the screen. I want you to remember it is the Bible, and it is true, even though it might not come off... Um, in my explanation in a way that's, that's fruitful in the moment, please consider what it says. It simply says this. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. We're talking about the source of pain, the pain we cause ourselves. You know, why did God, and I'm I just trying to make one up, why did God make me go so far into debt? It's like, mm, what? God did, do, well, why is my life so hard? You know, I, I drink too much, I smoke too much, I, you know, my first seven wives were idiots. I, I, uh, so wait a minute, I, I would come back and say, listen, if you walk outside in the rain and you get wet, don't blame God. God has shown us a way, he's given us wisdom. I'm not saying if anything bad happens to you, it's your fault, but we can't exclude the thought that some of the things that have happened in our lives are the result of our own decisions. Come on, say amen. If we can accept responsibility, then we can bring healing with it. But if it's always somebody else's fault, can I tell you something? I think one of the greatest mistakes we have made as a culture is to empower the victim as the most powerful person in the room. The victim is not the most powerful person in the room. I'm not saying that victims don't have a place in the room. I'm not saying we shouldn't undo victimness. I'm saying this, that if anybody says they're a victim, suddenly no one's allowed to argue with them. Suddenly no one's allowed to have an opinion contrary to theirs. We have glorified, even deified the victimized. The problem with that is this. Being a victim is a, is a, is a sincere diagnosis of a problem, but it's a terrible identity. To be victimized is one thing. To be a victim is completely different. Why would I want to be a victim? I have been victimized. And by the grace of God, I am no longer a victim. I hate to go total Joel Steen on you, but I am victorious, not a victim, right? I don't want to look in the mirror and see a victim. And life's not fair, and God's not good, and I'll never get ahead, and I'll never... No, I am not a victim. I have every opportunity in one of the greatest nations in the history of the world. I have strength in my body, a beautiful wife who's faithful, sons that love Jesus, grandchildren who are learning dance routines at two. I mean, the most incredible, beautiful people that, that you are in my life. I am not a victim of any man's scheme. I have been set free by the blood of Jesus. I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm standing on His Word. And I'm living according to His dictates for my life. I'm not a victim. And I'm here to tell you guys this. Listen, don't look in the mirror and see something less than God says about it. Never agree with the devil. Never say to God what the devil said to you to keep you down. If you are victimized, I am sorry. I might even be, it might even be me that did it. Or somebody like me that did it. So I'm not saying shame on you for being victimized. I'm saying if you've been victimized sincerely, you've been, you've been 
I'm just simply saying this. That's a momentary bump in God's plan for your life. And God won't even waste it. God will use that season of your life to set other people free. Amen. Don't stay there. Don't, you, you can be there, but don't stay there. Ron Canole had a song that said, if you're going through hell, don't stop. Right? This is the top ten threats to mankind according to Globaltopia, which I found on the Internet, so it must be true. Misinformation, energy, environment, food and water, poverty, war and conflict, disease, education, oppression, and overpopulation. Can you answer me? Which one of those is God's fault? Which, which one did God do to mankind? If Globaltopia, the source of all truth, is true about those being the top ten issues that face mankind, I would suggest to you that none of those are God's fault. God speaks the truth. God seems to have plenty of energy. God created a planet that didn't have pollution. There's plenty of food and water in the Garden of Eden and beyond. We've got to work for it now. Poverty. I mean, God's shown us ways to get out of that. Wars and conflict. That's not God. Disease. Jesus is a healer. Education. Jesus is the answer for ignorance. Oppression. Jesus is the, is the one who sets people free. Overpopulation. Be fruitful and multiply. I could blame that one on him. How you guys know? We fixed the first nine. Let's have more babies. You still with me? So none of these things are God's fault. Actually, God's the solution to these things. Third source of pain. You guys doing all right? This is the one that's hard for me and, and the one that especially as a pastor that's hard because I don't really have an explanation for it. And it's just the pain of injustice. What do you do when, when life isn't fair? Um, I hate it when two plus two doesn't equal four in somebody's life. How about you? I hate it when they come to me and they're broken because their heart's been broken. They've, there's been a tragedy there's healthy, vivacious, I'm thinking of a specific situation, um, a woman who has uh, cancer that's in her bones, and young mother, and, and it, it makes me laugh because she said, I was even using essential oils. I mean, she's like, I was in shape, I worked out, I ate organic, I was even using essential oils, and we both got a good laugh out of that when she said that. And, and here she is with a diagnosis that's very, very difficult and very grim, right? What do you do with that? Who do you blame and, and I just, the isms, uh, race-ism, gender-ism, age, I'm getting that's more sensitive to this one, age-ism, ism-ism. Uh, what do you do when, when people are sincerely oppressed or something just tragic? It's not fair. It's not right. What do you, what, where, where is God in this? How do you do this? And I just, um, piano guy, join me if you would. You may have heard this story before. But, but here we go, nonetheless. You guys okay? So I'm 29, 30 years old, first time senior pastor. Snowstorm hits. We get the phone call. There's been an accident uh, at, on Ann Street. Uh, an aunt and her son and their niece, her niece, were struck by a train. Um, they were all ejected from the car. The violence, the doors were actually torn off the vehicle. They were thrown in the snowbank. And the little girl, the three-year-old girl, part of her skull had been removed from the trauma her brain is swelling. We need a miracle. Can you come? And so for the next three days, that's where I lived. I lived at the hospital with the family. Uh, we were able to get there in a blizzard because like now, not, hey, in a week or so, could you come visit us? It's like now. It's life or death. Now we called everybody we knew. Please start praying. We need a miracle. How many guys believe God can heal this little girl's head? And a church of 120 people said, we believe it. And we all, I mean, everybody, somehow it was one of those things that it wasn't like it happened to another family and another, it was like, it was us. It happened to us. And we, the body of Christ, Fenton Assembly of God at the time, man, we got on our knees. We got on our face. 
we cried, we kicked, we screamed, we bound, we loosed, we whispered, but we, we just, we're, we're going to, Taylor's going to die, we're going to die with her, but we're going to pray. And the doctors would come in the room and they'd say, hey, good news. Uh, her lungs are good. Be like, she's going to live? Well, I, her lungs are great. I don't see why she wouldn't. And we get all up like, oh. And then the brain doctor would come in and say, listen, the pressure on her skull is growing. And we're going to have to put a, a hole on the other side of her head to release some of the pressure. Because if it gets pressured enough, circulation will be cut off. And we're going to have to like maybe lift her skull and let her, she's in a chemically induced coma. Uh, it doesn't look good. You should prepare yourself for the worst. But then another doctor would come and say, listen, her kidneys are functioning great. That's really great. That's a really great sign. We're like, so I call, hey, guys, you're, God's answering your prayers. And we just did this for three days. Her kidneys are good, but her brain, her lungs are good, but her brain, her heart's good, but her brain. And finally on the third day that they had a, a meeting and they came and they said, just her brain has fallen to the place where all, all uh, blood has been cut off. And the only thing that's left is a little bit of her, the stem of her brain. And there's no memories there. There's no function there. She, she would either be a vegetable that's on a machine that's going to breathe for her and she'll die of a urinary tract infection two years from now or two months from now or, or you just need to say goodbye and let her go. I remember calling again saying, guys, we got to pray. It's not too late. The doctor says it's hopeless, but how many of us know that Jesus comes in when things are hopeless? It's not a miracle because you're lucky. It's a miracle because the impossible has happened. And so we said, please, God, please, God, please. And it came time to to make that decision, the family decided we're going to unplug the machine and we're just going to trust the Lord. Okay, guys, this is it. Everybody pray. Everybody pray. And when it came time to, to do that, I stayed in the room with her and her uncle. We were the only two in the room. And we're watching the, the monitor do its thing, you know. And she died. And... My son was three at the time. Joshua was three. I remember looking and said, that could be my kid. And I, there's going to be a funeral in four days, and, and her mama got in bed with her. And we, we cleaned her up. We got the tubes out and got all the bandages off so she'd look like a child instead of a, a patient. And her mom got in bed, got under the covers, and held her. And I've never forgotten the sound that she made. It was a... It was animal. It was a, it was a scream, and it was a broken heart, and it was awful, and it just sent like a, it was just pure anguish, just pure, not not an ounce of joy, not a bit of sunlight, just absolute anguish, and, and I just remember thinking that was the time. I was like, I, I'm just gonna stay here, and I had no words. How many guys know I always have words? I'm never at a, and I had no words, and now four days from now, there's gonna be a funeral. I'm gonna have to stand up in front of a casket about that big. I'm going to have to tell everybody how good God is and how everything's under control. Now, he knew from the foundations of the world and how it's going to be okay. The problem is this. I don't believe it anymore. If I'm a carpenter, I go build my house. If I'm a janitor, I go, I go mop the floor. But I'm a pastor, and I have no answers to the questions that are in front of me. And so I, I did what all great men of God have done through the millennia. I called my mom. <laughs> And I said, I don't get it. Mom, I don't, and so I just said, I don't think I can ever look at God the same way again. He's not who I thought he was. And I don't know what to do with it. And I'm crying. And she, she says, Jimmy, calm down. And she said these three things to me. She said, Jimmy, this isn't heaven. This isn't heaven. The problem is you're expecting to happen on earth the perfections and the glories and the flawlessness and the power and the love of heaven. But this isn't heaven. 
there's a battle and we're fighting in here. The second thing she said is, this isn't hell. God gave them that little girl and, and, and you all fought for her and, you know what I mean? This isn't hell either. She said this last thing. She said, this is the place in between heaven and hell that, that has elements of both and they fight for your heart to believe the truth or to believe a lie. And I, and I just, I just want to say this to you. I'm going to say neuroplasticity and look at these two because they're, that's what they have. They have the, the characters of neuroplasticity like tattooed on their arms. But there's, there's something called uh, oh, cognitive dissidence or something like that. I've got it in my, my notes here. Um, yeah, cognitive dissonance. In other words, it doesn't make sense. The this, this story doesn't make sense. I can't believe the story because of what doesn't make sense. How many of you guys have ever been there? Let's just be honest. Because a lot of followers of Jesus have been here. David was here. Moses was here. I would, I would even say maybe Jesus was here in the garden. He's praying, let this cup pass from me. This, this doesn't, I don't want to do this. This doesn't make sense. Anybody ever been there? Let me see your hand. It's, it's, a, it's a test of our faith. What do you do when your faith is here and your mountain is here? It, it's, it's a, that's a tough moment. And so um, what we have to have is something called continuity of narrative for our, our brain chemistry to, to grasp it. We don't say, you know, if you've got, you, you got a terrible cold, you know, say, well, don't say you have a cold. That's not faith. Like our brain goes, wait a minute, I have a cold. Actually, a cold feels like it has me right now. And so our, our brains go, oh, okay, I guess I can ignore reality. It's not, I, I am sick right now, but I believe that Jesus is my healer. Does that make sense? That would be continuity of narrative. It's, it did interrupt it. So Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this. We know that in all things, God works together for the what? For the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. I, I, I don't mean to say, so isn't it a good thing that that little girl got hit by a train and died? I don't mean that at all. I'm just simply saying this. When God steps into your story, if your heart, if your ground has been pounded by the pain we've discussed tonight or a million other pains that can happen, you have to understand that, that if you're still breathing, then your story is not done. And how God doesn't just redeem church people's stories, he can redeem all people's stories. And how what was, was meant for evil can somehow turn out for good, how God can redeem the pain you've been through to comfort people as they go through pain, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Um, how God can use what you've been... My, my wife, and I don't have permission to share this, but I think you know that her childhood was hellish. And, and my wife has this beautiful ability to see people that are in pain, even though they're really good at hiding it, because she was really good at hiding it. And it wasn't until the Lord brought it out and she dealt with it. And, and all of a sudden, I, I remember we were sitting right about in that open area right there, setting up chairs one night, and, I, and we are getting ready to, she was going to tell her story in a, like a, I was going to interview her. And uh, I said, baby, I'm so sorry. I wish I had a time machine. I could go back, and I would just, I would just never let that happen to you. And she said, oh, I, you don't understand. I, I'm actually glad that that happened to me. And I was like, uh, I don't understand. What do you mean? She said this, don't forget, she said, if it wasn't for that season of pain and then God relieving that pain from me, I would never know who's in pain. I'd never be able to help them. She shared her story that, that week. And uh, during something, she went to the restroom and she heard a woman weeping in the stall. And she waited for her and she came out and she saw that it was Dina that was waiting there. And she fell into her arms and just started crying. Why? Because God is going to redeem her story the way that she redeemed her story. You're getting this? Life isn't fair, but God is just. And he won't waste a tear, and he won't waste a pain. So I get it if you're like, I don't trust the Bible because 
authority, experience, abuse, neglect, where was God? I totally, I am not saying that that is an, a, a logical thought. I'm simply saying this. I believe that whatever you've been through, whatever people have put you through, God now has the ability to redeem your entire story. And it can make sense. It, it can be helpful. It can be something that a million years from now in eternity, you can look back on and say, I'm glad that I went through that because it, it was just for the one person I got to help, it was worth that one person. Does this make sense to you? Yeah, I don't have time to share this last story, but it involves a bus stop. I watched God restore a man's life who killed a child in Vietnam. He was homeless, living in Phoenix. I shared Jesus with him. He spit in my face. He cussed me out. He did everything but, but punch me. And I said, I just need to pray for you. He said, don't pray for me. And I said, I'm going to pray for you. Don't you do I said, Lord, I pray for this man right here. And he started counter-praying me. Lord, no, he doesn't. True story. I pray you come into his heart. No, God, don't you dare come in my heart. I said, I pray you to forgive him. Show him that you're merciful. Show him that, that you can make it all make sense. He said, no, no, no. He said, and he just started these things. Why, God? Why did you send me to Vietnam? Why, God? Why did I have to pick up that gun? Why was I on patrol? And he started crying. He's screaming, why did I shoot that child? And he just weeps. He goes, oh, God, I am so sorry. And, and I don't know where you're at right now, but this is what happened. The very next thing that happened, he began to pray in the Spirit for the next 10 minutes, knowing nothing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God, he was born again, filled with the Spirit, and God redeemed his whole story on a, on a, a bench waiting for a bus in Phoenix, Arizona. After 10 minutes, he looked at me. He's like catching his breath. He's got the sup ups You know, the... <laughs> he goes, what was that? <laughs> Let me show you in Acts chapter 2. <laughs> you know? I'm just telling you this. I don't know what you've been through. I'm just telling you this. God can redeem your story if you let him, if you ask him. So, Father, I pray that tonight we would give you our story. If we don't, and that soil remains untilled and anything that hits us that's true will be taken away so quickly that it's as if it was never sown. We need truth in our hearts and we need to plow up the ground of the places that have been hurt, that have been hardened, that have been calloused because of pain. Real pain, not imaginary pain, real pain. But we're never going to be free if we stay in pain and we don't look for freedom. We're never going to be yours completely if there's parts of us that don't trust you. God, tonight I pray, today I pray, God, on this beautiful day, I pray that you would redeem our story as we give it to you now. Everybody that hurt us, every moment we were victimized, everything that happened before we were born, we didn't have a say in it. We came into this world at a disadvantage because daddy was a drunk or mama was gone. Or God, right now I pray, we ask you to redeem our entire story from beginning to end. You're the one who works all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Now, we give you our story to be useful. We give you our story to help those that are going through our story. We, we pray, God, you make it sensitive to those that might go through our story so that we can stop them from going through our story. We give you everything we once were, and we pray you use it for your glory. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I, I just, I'm curious. My eyes will be open in a moment. But if you're like, yeah, there's a part of my story that's trampled. I, when God talks about 
being generous. It's like, yeah, I got abused by a church that just robbed from me. When, when God talks about forgiving, it's like, I forgave, and that person never, it never changed. Like, I just, the church set me up to fail. When it says that I should respect authority and government, and I, you know, no, I, I, I will find my own way. Thank you very much. If you're here tonight, and you're like, you know what? There's parts of my life that if God spoke directly to me, as he kind of has in his word, you wouldn't listen because that, that place has been hurt. And so to trust him would be to give somebody authority over you. Even that's God. It's just, I will not give God that place. And so tonight, you're like, you know what? I need to give God my whole story. Generations ago, stuff that made me who I am today that I don't even know about, I give him my story that he might redeem. And if that's you, raise your hand right now in this room. God, here's my story. Here's my story. My last name is Wiegand, a Wiegand in, in German. is somebody who fights a mercenary. It's a, it's a soldier. It's a street fighter. God, I give you all of that to fight for your glory. Everything I, I was raised to be, I give it to you to fight for your glory. Everything that, that's hurt me, that's molded me, and shaped, I give it to you to fight for your glory, God, tonight. We give you our lives and our stories, and we ask you to plow our ground that your seeds would find rest in good, deep, rich soil. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen.